Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> it's a, it is a, a great day. I mean, we celebrate mothers every day, but, uh, you know, on our annual calendar, we have days where we specifically uh, lift up celebration. And, uh, you know, I just want to echo that uh, the same sentiment that Michelle had, had uh, said earlier um, just a minute ago. You know, no matter what our upbringing, right? Because some of us, you know, we had great moms. We're like, man, our mom was just, you know, she was just on point. And some of us, you know, maybe not so much. Maybe it was difficult, you know. Um, but, you know, the word of God tells us that we are to honor our mother and our father. The interesting thing about that is that command it's not something that's conditional. Oh, well, my mom was great. She always was there for me, so I'm going to honor her. Even if your mom wasn't there for you. I don't know. I don't know your guys' background like that. Maybe one person in here, actually, your mom dropped you off at an orphanage. And you don't even know your blood mom, your birth mom, right? We're still to honor our mother and father because in that, is actually a reflection of how we honor God, right? Because there is a divine order in how he created human beings and this world, and we are to honor our mother because it brings honor and glory to him. And even in uh, a situation where maybe your, your mother has passed on, you could honor the legacy, the memory of your mother, 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 <laughs> by how you live today by living a godly life by by planting seeds of truth in the people around you now your children maybe they're adult children maybe they're your grandchildren maybe you're to the point where you got great grandkids you can be pouring in to them and honoring your mother in that way amen, amen. uh this morning uh, I'm just super excited as we uh, are continuing on in, in, in the book of Revelation. And I had um, heard a lot of messages about mothers this week. I prayed about it. Um, the Lord didn't give me a word uh, to mothers per se. But I think, uh, I mean, if we really break it down and look at things the way they are in Scripture, every time we crack open the Word of God, it's going to speak to every single person, man, woman, and child no exceptions. So if you want a Mother's Day message, this is a Mother's Day message. <laughs> um, but we'll be in Revelation chapter 12 this morning. Uh, we're going to be going down through verses 1 through 6. And uh, this message is entitled The Woman and the Dragon, uh, part 1. So uh, when you get there, if you can, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll go ahead and pray and we'll begin our message. Once again, that's Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and we'll go down and read to verse 6. And it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. 
And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with an iron, with a rod of iron, excuse me. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this precious day. You've given us uh, the gift of life. Lord, you've given us eternal life in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that, Lord, we see just the blueprint of your plan all throughout scripture and, and it's so evident here in this portion of scripture of how much you love your creation your people that you would go to such a great length to redeem fallen humanity lord you have no rival you have no adversary lord you are in full control lord we praise you that you are victorious Father, may we walk in your victory today. May we see how uh, this portion of scripture is uh, absolutely applicable to our lives this morning. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen. All right. Yeah, um, this is a great Mother's Day message. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is. I mean, it truly is. You know, praise mothers that, uh, and that, that's how God, in his infinite wisdom, saw fit to bring humans into this world, into creation, right? We all are birthed from a mother. Jesus, the Savior of the world, had a mother. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Last week... Just a quick recap to bring us up to speed to where we're at in our text this morning. Last week, we looked at how one day, and, that, and that's the day we're, we're all waiting for, right? The, the Christians, true followers of Jesus Christ, are anticipating the day when Jesus Christ will return to rule and govern over all of the nations of the world. He is going to come back, and we're in anticipation of that day. You see, all of human authority will then be wiped away and only the Lord's reign will exist. All of these nations and countries that are vying for power, vying for control, vying for resources, all of this military might and rumors of wars and, and talks of wars, all of that will be done away with and the Lord God Almighty will rule uh, completely over this created world uh, when that time comes. We were reminded last week of how every faithful believer in Jesus Christ will one day be rewarded for their faithfulness. We know about the Hall of Faith in Scripture where many people that lived lives of faith, they did not see their reward this side of heaven. And so I think as Christians today, we need to get it out of our minds that everything is going to work out here or you're going to see the fruit of all your labor here. Praise God if you're able to see some fruit of your labor here. But many times uh, that's not the case, but that doesn't mean our faithfulness should be any less 
even though we don't we may not see it in its entirety in our lifetime. We also learned about all those who oppose Jesus Christ will one day in the end be utterly destroyed. It's to the point here in our context in the book of Revelation where the 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 patience if you will of of God has come to a screeching halt. There is no more patience. That long-suffering love, is, it, it, it's, it's now time for judgment to occur because of uh, the waywardness of mankind refusing uh, over and over again to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ alone offers. We also saw about how the Ark of the Covenant, uh, when it was opened in heaven, it revealed the Holy of Holies where God himself dwells and judgment then fell upon the earth. Rumbles, earthquakes, lightning, Thunder and hail fell from the sky, and that's where we left off last week. Today we will begin a two-part series in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, and once again, uh, the message is entitled, The Woman and the Dragon. Um, Today we will be getting an in-depth review, if you will, of how humanity has gotten to the place it is today. Uh, We see the state of the world, we see the condition of mankind, um, uh, philanthropists and, and all kind of, I guess, uh, 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 well, with well good intentions, people are trying to fix things in all kind of measures, but nothing works. It's just a band-aid on an open wound. Um, uh, I think a while ago, I don't know who it was, I might have been talking to Daniel or and Sal, and uh, you know, we were talking about how you, know, you can come out with more laws, or maybe it was... Uh, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Lou. Maybe it was all of them. (laughs) But we're talking about how, you know, you can come, you can keep coming out with laws. But until an individual's heart is truly regenerated and the framework of their understanding is I need to submit and obey God Almighty. I'm going to break laws. (laughs) I'm going to simply break laws because I don't have it in me. I don't have the capacity in me to follow these man-made regulations because I'm not even starting from the right point of reference. I'm not honoring God. And we go back to that statement again, how the scripture talks about honor your mother and father. You see, it will go well with you in this life, meaning your quality of life will be so much better if you learn to honor your mother and father irregardless or that's not a right that's not even a real word regardless of uh, how they treated you or how they were because it's not conditional once again because it all has to do with honoring God honoring the Lord and when we honor the Lord it will go well with us we will have joy we will have peace despite the difficult circumstances of life, even the unfavorable situations we may find ourselves in because we live in a fallen world. But this is what we're going to look at today, how we got to this place where we are currently today. Today, we will begin to unpack the meaning of the symbolism we find here in our text. And once again, how this is so applicable to our day and age, how it is so applicable to our lives today. What is this? May May 8th, 2022. I was about to say 2020. My gosh, time has gone by so quick. You see, what I, what I believe the Lord was showing me in this, in this first six verses of chapter 12 is how I'm, it's just a, such an important reminder of how Jehovah Jireh is our provider. Truly, he is our provider. Think about your week. How has the Lord provided for you? Or even think about today. How has the Lord provided for you? 
He's giving you all function in your body. You're not incapacitated. He's giving you oxygen to breathe. He's giving you a heart that beats. I got a call from my, my one of my older brothers, uh, was it Thursday or Wednesday? And, uh, you know, I had, had been in contact with him, you know, some, somewhat often, infrequently. But, you know, we, we, we talk every now and again. And he never calls me in the morning. I'm like, it's 8 o'clock. I'm, I'm pulling into uh, the parking lot where I work at. And I saw his name. And so I picked up and he said, uh, yeah, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm, I'm on the road to recovery now. But um, on Easter Sunday morning, I had a mini stroke. I lost vision in my left eye. And we had a whole conversation. He shared with me everything that went down. And, you know, well, he didn't think it was anything serious. And then he ended up three days in the hospital. And, uh, you know, he was just asking the Lord, what, what am I, what do you want me to learn from this situation? And, and the Lord has revealed some things to him. But again, I share, I share that to say, how has the Lord provided for you today? You know, you didn't have a mini stroke before you came into service. So he provided health. He's provided a clean bill of health. You know, I messed up my back a week ago. I just was trying to I leaned over to, to uh, you know, put my cell phone in, in, in the charger. And, you know, I've just felt my back pop and I have this nagging injury that every so many years it just comes up. And I just my back is I just throw out my back. And if you've ever thrown out your back, you know that it is debilitating. You're like a straight newborn baby. You can't even wipe your butt. That's horrible. I'm sorry to be graphic. I'm just going to keep it real. You can't do much when you don't have your back. Daniel told me a while ago, your back is like the trunk to your body. Like a tree has a trunk. Without the trunk, that, that, it's just flimsy like a little spaghetti noodle. <laughs> and, you know, every time my back goes out, it's just like I'm ultimately humble because I'm like, man, Lord, I can't do anything. And, I, and nowadays, I, I, I can't stand missing work. I, I, I enjoy uh, what I do. And so... It wasn't a vacation for me the two days I took off. Veronica's like, get off that computer. You're not, you're, you're not on vacation. You need to get better. But I, again, I share that because the Lord is our provider, amen, and he provides everything that we need. And most importantly, spiritually, providing a way out, a way out of certain death. He had provided, he has provided for not only us, but the entire human race. All of humanity has a way out, saving us from sin, saving us from eternal torment and death. Amen. All right. We have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. The Lord God has always loved his creation. He has always loved his creation with a with a with a deep, with a deep, everlasting love. Honestly, this is the entire theme of the Bible. When you, when you look at Scripture, when you read, when you see the Old and New Testament and how they converge and how they mesh together, how they fit like a hand in a glove so perfectly. You can't read Scripture without seeing God's love and His provisions for mankind. I mean, it's all over the Scripture. It's riddled throughout the pages of the Holy Bible. Amen. You see, those who don't acknowledge God's great love for his creation simply don't want to see it. That's the that's the honest truth. People who say, I, I don't see how God is so compassionate and so loving. Why did he allow me to be born into a family that was abusive? Why did he allow me to get involved with a business deal where this person snaked me for for hundreds of thousands of dollars? 
And are you, we, ha, we, hear, we hear it. Why, why do I have this, this nagging physical condition where, where I'm not able to do things that certain people do? And I don't, that's a whole other message. I can't even get into it now. But we all understand that we live in a fallen world. And because of sin, all kind of difficult, bad things happen in this life. And so it's not the Lord who made it like this. It is our, our sinful condition that made it this way. Our, our, our free will to choose to go against God's way of creation. That's what led us into this, this problem that we see ourselves in this morning. You see, the accounts of redemption are all about the Lord's deep love for his people. Even before time was set into motion, we just, we just were singing about this, right? The triune Godhead, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit, they formed a plan and they came up with the greatest plan ever to be unveiled to humans. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 tell us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I mean, it just it just lays it out there for you that it is yours and mine for the taking. If we so desire to be grafted into his family, if we so desire to be reconciled, to be brought back into a right relationship with God, the father, through his son, Jesus Christ, through the power of his uh, his burial, death, and resurrection, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that is all accessible to us. You have a VIP pass to have redemption. It's there. You see, as we uncover the symbol symbolism, excuse me, in our text this morning, we will see that it is actually very simple and plain. It's not as uh, sophisticated or complex, as, if you will. We don't need a bunch of charts you know, and, and I'm not dogging all that, but what I'm saying is we have to understand what's the overarching theme. See, people get caught up and they're just like the dragon. I mean, we, we had the picture. It's right there. It's like the dragon. I mean, if that's what you get out of this, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. I'll just give away a little bit. The dragon is a defeated foe. He's not even on the same. They're not even on the same plane. They're not even on the same plane. You know, the overarching theme is the Lord's deep love for people. That's what Revelation's all about. That's the revelation of God is his love. He reaches down out of the heavenly realm to, to redeem a broken creation and make it better than it was when he first created it. Because it's, it's now renewed and regenerated. That is the theme. It could really be summed up in this. You don't have to listen to me ramble on. Just listen to the word of God. John chapter 3, verses 16 down through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have 
eternal life. For some reason, we always stop there. (laughs) For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So once again, people who choose not to see the truth of Scripture, the truth of Jesus Christ, again, I understand that uh, the, the eyes of their hearts are veiled, but they are choosing they are choosing not to see the truth as it is. Again, this is the entirety of the book of Revelation. Repent and turn back to Jesus Christ because he loves you and he desires to make you and me whole. We're incomplete without a real uh, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We're incomplete. I don't, I don't care how much of this world you have, you are incomplete without Jesus Christ. And you can have little next to nothing of this world and have all of Jesus and you have everything you're ever going to need. Amen? Because it's not about in the accumulation of things or experiences that this life can offer you. Because all the people that go that road, they're empty. They're broken. They're just lying, putting up a veneer, acting as if everything is okay. But when they're all alone, they're sulking and sad. What we what we watch another day? The Game Plan, that old movie with The Rock and that young little girl. He's a football player, Joe Kingman, this and that. And, you know, he throws a New Year's party and everybody's there. He's in his penthouse suite and, you know, he's a single man. And, you know, he's he's living that life. Everybody leaves... And he's there with his dog. <laughs> and, and this is the one, one of the first scenes in the movie. And, and, and you know, he's, he's, he throws a pass to the dog. And obviously the dog's not that talented, so he doesn't pass the ball back. He just drools and slobbers over the football. And then, you know, Dwayne Johnson goes and sits down on this $40,000 couch. But the look on his face tells it all. He has all that this world can offer. But he's empty. He's hollow. He's hopeless inside because he's missing that main component, the main purpose of life to enjoy God forever through his son, Jesus Christ. And obviously Disney's not going to go there and and say that this is what he's going to do. It's the little warm hearted. Oh, it's the you know, it's the daughter that he had in a failed marriage from eight years ago. But, you know, whatever. (laughs) But, you know, we as Christians, we know what what he what's missing. Right. And this is what this is what the book of Revelation is telling us today. Come back to him. Go back to Christ. Remember your first love. You see. We need to be made whole and and, and because if we don't and if we refuse, we basically receive the the wages of our of our sin. That that's what happens. It's either you accept Jesus Christ or you and I receive the wages of our sin. And the wages of our sin is death, eternal death. I mean, it's already bad enough we're going to die physically. I, I mean, I'm not, I am so not morbid. I don't know why I talk about it a lot, but I, I, see, I, I feel like I'm talking about it a lot in, in messages. But I can't elude the fact that this is a reality that we all have to face. But do you see we have an out? <laughs> 
That's so great. Praise God that he gives us an out. We don't have to fret. We don't have to be uh, worried. We don't have to be in fear. We can trust and know that our eternal state is going to be with him forever. And that's what you receive when you turn back to Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. That's our first main point is that Jesus Christ loves, has loved his creation even before the beginning of time. He's always loved us. The second main point is this. True love, not this Cupid on a you know, cloud with an arrow, Valentine's Day. But true love is measured by one's willingness to serve another out of free will, not being forced to serve God against your free will. You see, if you notice, you will see free will all throughout our text this morning. You see, the free will of God, we see his free will in that he provided the means for mankind to be saved. He didn't need to do that. He could have simply said, no, I'm not going there. You guys are wayward. You keep on rebelling. Uh, as the scriptures say, you continue to kick against the goads, the sharp, that sharp thing that just stabs these animals because they're frustrated and they don't want to do with the work. <laughs> And we continue to be like that. God could have said, man, I'm done. I'm done. But he doesn't do that. You see, if anything, we deserve to experience his wrath and not his mercy. We deserve to experience death and not his grace. But he chose to love us. He free out of his free will. He said, no, I love. I love you. I love you with an everlasting, eternal love. You see, it was an active choice of his to love his creation with this long-suffering love. In the same way, we respond to the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ with our free will. It's a free will choice. We have to choose Christ. We have to decide that, yes, I want to receive what you are offering me. You see, salvation is never forced upon us. We were created with a free will and we can exercise that free will however we choose. But the important thing to point out here is that there are consequences to every free will decision that we make, whether it's bad or good. There are always consequences to the decisions that you and I make. As is the case with the third of the stars that the dragon swiped down from heaven to earth. You see, these stars that the Bible refers to are angelic beings that became corrupt. These beings as well were created with the free will. They weren't created as robots. They are not forced to serve the true and living God. You see, that was Satan's downfall or Lucifer's downfall. He one day decided in his heart, meaning the innermost part of his being, that serving the Lord God Almighty was not good enough for him. He wanted to be more than he was created to be. He wanted to be God himself. He wasn't, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't content. That serpent of old essentially is the clay trying to tell the potter you didn't make me right. You messed up. Let, let me give you some advice. This is what you should have done for me. This is how you should have created me. This is how you should have formed me. 
when he fell from heaven, it wasn't so much that Satan forced these other angels out of heaven. It was more that he convinced them that rebelling against God was a good thing to do. And see, that's where we see this free will come in of these this third of the stars falling from heaven to the earth. In the New Testament, sinners are commanded over and over to repent and believe. Every call to repentance is a call to choose. It's a decision. It's a decision that we have to make, right? The command to believe assumes that the hearer can choose to obey the command. Again, it's a decision that the person hearing must make. That's why parents can't hammer it into their children that you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You need to be the best table setter you can be, as I like to say, and you need to trust in uh, the, the, uh, the, the statement that, that God has made in his scripture that says if you train a child in the way he or she should go when they, when they are old enough to when they reach the age of accountability, at some point they won't depart from the truth. Now they may everybody is a prodigal for some season of time, but at some point they're going to revert back to the truth because you would you would have trained them up in the way they should go. And this is what we see here in our scripture this morning. Jesus identified the problem of some unbelievers when he told them you refuse to come to me to have life. You can find that in John chapter five, verse 40. Clearly, they could have come if they wanted to. Their problem was they chose not to. And that's what's going on in our world today. You have people that are choosing, that see the importance of pursuing a a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you see other people who are in the boat of, I'm trying to get all this life can offer and I want immediate gratification. I mean, we live in the age of instant everything. I mean, it's, it's very serious for the young people, the people of this generation, because everything is instant. And they can't wait for anything. I mean, I know I've mentioned this before. This was before my time. But, you know, when, uh, you know, when the, when, when, uh, you know, the people that delivered the mail, I mean, they didn't have a car. <laughs> you know, it took weeks to get a response from someone. And you had to write. It's none of this texting and, you know, instant. Bam, bam, bam. You know, and everything's on social media. It's just so crazy. You know, we need to teach young people how to wait. We don't know how to wait on the Lord anymore. We want everything now. And if the Lord doesn't respond in the, in the next five minutes, we go off and just do our own thing because we think, well, we can do it. <laughs> well, I've heard from the Lord. So I'm just going to go, even though he hasn't even said nothing about the situation. Sometimes we just need to wait. Sometimes he wants us to wait just so he can see, are you going to be obedient? But we're so finicky in our way that we just want to go. And sometimes we just need to wait, wait upon the Lord. Amen. Amen. She knows. You see. The reality is, as Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 tells us, a man reaps what he sows. And those who are outside of salvation are without excuse. This is the case with these, uh, the third of the stars that have fallen from heaven. Our third main point is this. Satan is a defeated foe, while Jesus Christ is forever victorious. 
You see, we must understand this as believers, that, that, that the deceiver, Satan, his fate is sealed. He has never been and will never be equal to Jesus Christ. Our Lord has disarmed and defeated him soundly. It is like it's like an NFL football team playing against a junior peewee pop Warner football team. It's like a bunch of grown men playing against eight and 12 year olds. There's no competition. It's over. Five minutes into the first quarter, it's over. It's already 35 nothing, and everyone's beat up and hurt and they want to go home. <laughs> they want their Gatorade, they want their Snickers, they want their orange slices. They don't want to go back on the field. They don't want to get knocked around anymore because they're getting hammered. This is what's going on. I know that's a silly analogy, but that's what's going on with Satan. Our Lord has disarmed him, defeated him. There is no redemption for him. There is no undoing the decisions he has made as he desired to be God himself. The, scripture, the scriptures here tell us if Satan could, he would have devoured the child of the woman. But you have to see the text. It says if, if he could devour, but he couldn't devour. Why? Because God has the overarching theme of victory. And though his sinister uh, things have come into the world, he does not have power that is over the believer or over Jesus Christ himself. He knows his time is short. He knows his time is short, speaking of our enemy. This is why he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. People who are not aware of the truth. Uh, those who are professing only with their mouths that they are Christians, but their lifestyles are contrary. They are not regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He is seeking to devour those people. And he is victorious in devouring them if they don't turn from their wicked ways and look to the Lord. We must understand that because his fate is sealed, forever to remain in the lake of fire, his mission is now to take as many people with him as he can to hell. Since he is miserable, he looks to make as many miserable as well. Satan is a defeated foe. Jesus won the victory over him through the cross and his resurrection. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 tells us, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It is now possible for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ to defeat Satan every day in our own lives. Amen? It is truly possible. The Holy Spirit empowers God's children to say no to Satan's agenda and walk in the Spirit of God instead, living a lifestyle that's pleasing to God. You see, the ultimate defeat of Satan is yet to come in the sense of in real time and when he will be condemned to the lake of fire forever, unable to promote his evil agenda ever again. That is when the Lord will come back again. Though Satan still reigns as the God of this world, little g, 
not giving him any more credit than he deserves. Christians can live in light of the truth that he is a defeated foe. And that's why, again, it's so important for us. What do we allow ourselves to come into agreement with? Do not allow yourself to come into agreement with the schemes of the the enemy. And you see, that's another spiritual discipline that you and I must develop. Know your triggers. You know, I was listening to a message yesterday afternoon. I I was going to, um, I had to pick up some shorts that I bought online from Champ Sports and I went to the Great Mall. And, And I hate going to the mall. And it's funny because, you know, I heard a message and the pastor was talking about, yeah, we know when I was in seminary, they always teach us men. It's an important thing for purity, sexual purity. Bounce your eyes. Understand what bouncing your eyes is. And it was so funny. He's like, man, you had a bunch of men leaving with headaches and their heads hurting because they're bouncing their eyes constantly. But you know what? If you don't, if it, you got to know your triggers, you know, and I'm sure it's the same for women. But we keep it real here in this church for men, especially you have to know that women are attractive. And if you're attracted to women and if you're just sitting there doing one of these numbers, well, you know that you're, you're conceiving uh, the desire. And once you conceive the desire, it's going to give birth to sin. And what does sin give birth to? Death. And then all kind of bad stuff's going to happen out of that. So you got to find yourself Develop a spiritual discipline. I'm just using this as an example. Know your triggers. If you know your triggers are, man, I don't, I don't want to be having the gazing eye syndrome, then you better learn to bounce your eyes, man. I remember at one of the, um, uh, the men's retreats years ago. Oh, gosh, years ago. I don't, no, I wasn't even a men's retreat. It was somewhere else with uh, Charles Knuckles from uh, City Team and one of the guys that he ran with. He was always say something about, I just look at the back of their, their hair or something. I look at their hair, you know, because he's like, I, I don't, I don't want to get caught up, you know, and, and that's the thing. But, again... I say that to say this, don't come into agreement with the schemes of the enemy. He's going to run the same old plays on you. He knows what your, what your pappy was into. He knows what your great grandpa was into. And, and there are spiritual, I mean, there are curses that come in our generational line if they haven't been broken already. And if one of yours is, you know, whatever, lust of the flesh, as far as, you know, seeing things, then you better learn to, to deal with that. If one of your things is uh, gluttony, eating too much, or, or eating, having too many sweets, I think I fall into all of those. <laughs> it's like, you better figure out, I better cut out some of this stuff and not be allowing myself to go to the cupboard every time the commercial comes on, trying to look for some or, or eat an apple, something. But you got to know your triggers, amen? Or else you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. And we don't want any of us to be there. Okay, let's look at these verses. We'll start with verse 1. And it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. So this is the first of the seven signs that John relates. And it, and it is described as a great sign. In, in Revelation chapters 12, 13, and 14, The main figures of the great tribulation are described. And this great sign introduces the first of the seven. The woman who represents Israel. The dragon who represents Satan. The man-child refers to Jesus Christ. The angel Michael is uh, the head of the angelic host. The offspring of the woman represents Gentiles who come to faith during the tribulation. The beast out of the sea represents the Antichrist. And the beast out of the earth 
represents the false prophet who promotes the Antichrist. These are all what we see here. Um, this is what's going to go on as we move on forward in the book of Revelation. So we see this statement, a woman clothed with the sun. Because John plainly said this is a sign, we don't expect this woman to appear literally on the earth. God will usually use signs to communicate something to John and to us. And, and in this passage, or in passages like this, women often represent religious systems in the book of Revelation. Um, if, you, if you look back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, Jezebel is associated with a religious system promoting false teaching. The great harlot in Revelation chapter 17, verse 2, is associated with false religion. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8, the bride is associated with the church. Those are all women, feminine, but they all represent uh, a different perspective of what's going on spiritually. This woman, clothed with the sun, has been associated with many different religious ideas. Roman Catholics claim that this woman is Mary, pictured as the queen of heaven. It is common in Roman Catholic art to represent Mary as standing on a crescent moon with 12 stars around her head. But scripturally, we, we want the truth. Scripturally, this woman clothed with the sun should be identified with Israel according to Joseph's dream. You got to go back to Genesis chapter 37 to learn about that. In that dream, the sun represented Jacob. The moon represented Joseph's mother, Rachel, and the 11 stars were the sons of Israel, which bowed down to Joseph. In this sign with 12 stars, Joseph is now among the other tribes of Israel. In other Old Testament passages, Israel or Zion or Jerusalem is often represented as a woman. Hosea chapter 2 verses 19 and 20 tell us this. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. There's many other verses that speak of this. We don't have the time to, to, to look into it, but um, yeah, just know <laughs> that there's many other verses that speak about this. Okay, let's move on to verse two. And it says that she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So being with child. Later on in the chapter, it is clear that the child born of Israel is Jesus. She bore a male child who was to rule over the nations with an iron, uh, with a rod of iron, excuse me. And she cried out in labor pains to give birth. The pain described here refers to the trials that Israel would endure at the time of Jesus' birth. Remember, we have to understand that Israel was under Roman occupation and oppression. And so this was all going on throughout this time. And, and that's, that's what we get when we look at, at, at this portion of scripture here. All right, we're moving on to verse 3. And it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. You see, this is why, <laughs> this is why, you know, we need to ask the Holy Spirit for for uh, illumination. 
to help us to rightfully divide the word. Because you see, if we're not regenerated and we read this, the people, people that try to rip apart and take apart the Bible, they read stuff like this. And man, they get all kind of kooky stuff going on. And then you get all these other just these all these these not I don't even want to call them sub doctrines. They're just false doctrines that pop up because people are sensationalized by stuff like this. And then they try to say, well, you see, that's why God's not real, because, you know, man had a part in it. And why is God talking about this and that? And then they try to make some kind of Hollywood movie out of it. And this is not the case. This is not the case at all. But we see that it says another sign appeared in heaven. Again, we are reminded that this is a sign. The creature here is not literally a great fiery red dragon, but the dragon represents his nature and his character. Remember, God is all about your character, right? That's what he cares about. He cares about the intent of your heart. How is your heart? How is the condition of who you are on the inside that makes you do the things that you do? Because our actions are a manifestation of what's really going on inside of us. And we're getting to see what's really on the inside of Satan. You see, his description symbolically suggests his fierce power and murderous nature. A picture of the fullness of evil in all of its hideous strength. And that's why he's regarded as this fiery red dragon. The application is this. Again, we need to be aware as Christians that Satan is a very real active and alive enemy of you. It doesn't matter what the survey suggests because you can look at a poll and nowadays upwards to about 80% of Americans today don't even believe that Satan exists. And that is Christians and non-Christians. That's in our country. They just think he's fake. But you look at the television. What? Like I said, I can't leave the living room without putting the guide on if my children are in the living room because I don't have peace with what's going to come across that screen. You know, I don't <laughs> because there's so much ungodliness that's coming in. And how, how is it? How is it ungodliness? Because Satan is real and Satan's trying to devour and kill. And we're talking about Mother's Day, celebrating this Mother's Day. You know that motherhood has been mocked and slandered and, and, and pretty much desecrated. Now we have a whole generation of people that are like, well, I can be woman and woman. I don't need the man. <laughs> and I'm going to be a great mom. And that's an affront to the, creation, the creator's design. And basically saying, I don't need you. I think just like Satan, I think you made a mistake of how you created me. Because I'm good with my woman and woman relationship. And I'm going to raise all kind of children. <laughs> under the nurturing care of two women, and it's going to be okay. You know, Father's Day's coming up. Men will have their chance. But we need men. <laughs> you know, we need that woman and man, one flesh. But we see all of this coming to pass because Satan is real, though 80% of Americans don't even acknowledge that he exists. You see... The devil is very, very real. He torments people and the demons that roll with him try to inhabit people. And when they are successful, they live inside of people void of the Holy Spirit. Demonic possession is so real. It's so real. It's not fake. 
It's not some movie. It's not The Walking Dead. It's not looking creepy and, and weird and gory and blood gushing and it's dark everywhere. That's Hollywood. But demonic possession is so real. And some of the people you see on t- TV with teeth whiter than paint and hair looking perfect and no flaws in their skin, those people are possessed by demons. They really are. They really are. You see, and these demons influence these people to do all kind of evil and despicable things. So for us as believers, we need to be praying daily for Jesus Christ's protection in our lives against the enemy. Amen. That's so true. We need it. We need his hedge of protection around us. We need his hand upon us. We need to be praying for our children that they're not being attacked and tormented by these unclean spirits that would like to do nothing but harm them and cause them pain. But we have to be aware. Again, this is another spiritual discipline that we must develop as those who are soldiers in the army of God. I, I love that. I'm like, I'm trying to be a soldier. I mean, I didn't go to the military, but I mean, maybe that's just testosterone. But I'm like, I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. For, sign me up. But, but we, we, need to, we need to have that mentality that this is what's going on. And though we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that's why prayer, that's why being in the word, that's why being able to handle the word of God so effectively is so important because that's your only line of attack. Three in the morning, four in the afternoon, how are you going to stop a, a, a satanic attack in your home? You can't necessarily call a pastor. You can't call nobody else. You better get down on your knees. You better lay hands on that individual and pray for them and bind that unclean spirit. That's why walking close with the Lord is so important because we have the ability to have that power uh, readily accessible to us if we have a, a right relationship with God. Amen? But you see, when we're faking the funk... When it goes down, we're going to be getting beaten, whooped up, naked, bloody, running away because we don't got no effectiveness because our relationship ain't right. Keep your relationship right with Jesus. Then you can readily do what you need to do to keep the enemy at bay. And you could live that life of joy despite all of these things that are going around. Because you see all these people that are going through all kind of crazy stuff. It's spiritual stuff. They're being attacked spiritually and it's just manifesting itself in the physical People don't need more drugs. They don't need to put kids on all these other things. It's not, that's not helping. That's not helping. You know, Big Pharma wants it, but Big Pharma is in bed with Satan. So that's why we see all this stuff. That people need to be revived and regenerated. It's a spiritual illness that's affecting people of this world. Amen? That is truly what's going on. You know? Ain't no Ben Gay going to help my back. <laughs> I need the Lord to come down and touch me, man, and just get me right. That's what I need. That's what I need. Okay, the seven diadems on this dragon's head. This, this dragon had, uh, had great power. Seven heads and ten horns. Uh, and, and claimed royalty, royal authority uh, with these seven diadems. The, crown, the crowns represent... His claims of royal authority against the true king, Jesus Christ. You see, he wants to be considered a king, but he is a counterfeit. Remember that he is a fake and a fraud. From the similar description given in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, 
and parallel verses that are found in Daniel chapter 7, it is clear that this revived Roman Empire is in view here. And I'll read Daniel chapter 7, uh, verses 7 and 8. It kind of gives us a little glimpse of this. And it says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had, uh, it had ten horns. I considered the horns... And behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. You see, the seven horns, uh, the seven heads, excuse me, and ten horns refer to the original ten kingdoms of which three were subdued by the little horn who is to be identified with the world ruler of the great tribulation who reigns over the revived Roman Empire. And that's, that's what's going on with this whole thing of, uh, of these horns and the diadems on the dragon's head. Okay, we're moving on to uh, verse 4. And it says, His tail, speaking of this great dragon, swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she... So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. He swept down a third of the stars of heaven. Many believe this describes one third of the angelic hosts keeping company with Satan. This is his chromies. These are angelic beings who revolted. This army of angelic beings makes up the world of the demonic spirits. It is very important that we understand this one thing. God never made anything evil. Yeah. Everything he created, he said it was good. Everything was good. And he rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but as a, a model of what we would need. We need a day of rest. We need to have a day where we consecrate everything to him and honor him in that. Yes, we do every day, but there needs to be a specific day because he knows we are but of dirt. <laughs> we are but of flesh. We are weak. We are prone to wander. But nothing he ever made was ever bad or evil. But he did make angels, principalities, and powers with the capacity for mighty joys and distinctions in his glorious domain. But with free will built into the very creation of moral beings, they can exercise that free will that will produce an everlasting joy or an everlasting woe, you know. Humans and angels were no different in that sense. This is what we see here with these angelic beings. They use their free will to rebel against the God of all creation. They could have easily decided to remain faithful to God and said, No, I'm not, I'm not following you, Lucifer. I'm not going the way you go. I see, I can clearly see you're not God. You're, you're, you're just a, a, a mighty angel, but you're not God. You're not sitting on the throne. I'm not following you. But those who chose to rebel, they, they, they were convinced. They were convinced. Somewhere along the line, their perception of truth became out of focus. They, they, they lost sight of who 
who God was. The, mo the God Most High, Almighty God, the Great I Am. They, 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 they lost sight of who He was. They took their eyes off of Him. They got their eyes off of God and they placed their eyes on themselves. And they let that little whisper come in. Don't you think you deserve more? Don't you think that you could be a little bit better? Don't you think you should be like him? And they thought to themselves, ah. Again, the spiritual discipline of know your triggers. Someone trying to entice you with nice speech, trying to prop you up. Oh, you better watch out. Somebody trying to butter you up for a fall. Anytime someone tries to tell me something or tells me something that's a good thing, I say, you know what? Glory to God. That's an automatic, that's an auto response for me. I don't want to be taking any kind of praise for anything. It's like, no, glory to God. It's the Lord's work. Praise God. Praise God. Because that's what we should do. And that's not, like, oh, well, yeah, I'm actually, yes, I actually did a great job. I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm doing good. <laughs> that's what you're about to fall off, man. That's a slippery slope. And that's, that's a pride thing. You know, and some of us, we come from backgrounds where we, 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 weren't really, we weren't really brought up in a way where we were given a lot of confidence. So then when people come around telling you something, you're like, well, <laughs> yeah, cool. But that's like, now you better give glory to God. And that's what happened to these angels here. Satan got in their ear and they just fell off, man. Mm. The application is this. Our receiving or rejection of Jesus Christ is a choice only we can make. We can't blame anyone or anything for the choices we make. You see, we can either allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, which is a beautiful thing, and draw us closer to himself, or we can harden our hearts towards the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings about and be left in the bondage of our sinful condition. Either way, we have a free will to decide what we will be led to believe. We know this is to be true in Scripture. One, one passage that also seems to describe the fall of Satan from heaven is found in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Uh, the context is, is primarily about a human king uh, as judgment is pronounced against Babylon. Many scholars, they have concluded there's a little bit more to this passage than that. Uh, re references to the whole earth. Um, the king's fall from heaven, his desire to exalt himself above the stars, and the symbolic name of Lucifer or light bearer or light bringer, excuse me, are all expressions of some kind of exaggerated greatness. And this is what Satan believes. He, he's delusional. He thinks he's greater than he is. If the, if the subject is only the human king of Babylon, then everything is figurative and it's greatly exaggerated. But if there is a secondary spiritual character or application in view, then the descriptions could be quite literal. God is pronouncing judgment on both kings of Babylon, the human king and the spiritual foe who empowers him. Again, Babylon is always a symbol of rebellion from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Babylon is always the enemy of God. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 15. I don't have to read it, but you guys can read it for yourself. It speaks of all this right there. And then next we see that Satan wanted to devour this child. If he could have done it, he would have devoured. He would have killed Christ. He would have took this baby out. The attempt to devour her child was initially fulfilled by Herod's attempt to kill Jesus as a child. It was also fulfilled throughout Jesus' whole earthly ministry. 
as Satan attacked him. You can read about that in, in many of uh, uh, the, the New Testament uh, scriptures. You see, again, Satan is a defeated foe. Jesus Christ and Satan are not on equal ground. Those who don't understand why Jesus Christ came to earth struggle with this. They, they don't get it. They, they think that it's like, I don't know, it's like a good boxing match or something when it's not. It's not that Satan ever defeated Jesus Christ by Jesus' death, but that Jesus Christ defeated Satan by laying down his life for the sake of many. John chapter 10 verse 18 tells us, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, this proves again, once and for all, that Satan is no match for Jesus Christ. Our Lord willingly gave up his life so humanity could have the opportunity to be saved. No unclean spirit or sinful man could ever take Jesus' life from himself. That is absolute power. The fact that Jesus Christ chose to lay his life down and took it back up. That is absolute power. The power only the true and living God could possess. Amen? All right, we have two more verses. I'll get through these quickly. Verse 5, it says, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God, to his throne. Clearly, this is a reference to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He rules the world with a rod of iron. Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Also, Revelation nineteen fifteen: From his mouth come a sharp sword, which will strike down the nations. That's actually talking about the word of God, not a literal sword. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Again, she is born a male child. This just simply refers to Jesus's earthly birth. And then rule all nations with the iron rod refers to the triumphant return of Jesus Christ. By stating this point and the ending point of Jesus's earthly work, John alludes to all that stood in between, the whole thing, what was going on. The application is this. After Jesus Christ battles with the prince of this world, which is Satan, he soundly defeats him once and for all. Satan who comes tempting Jesus, he tried Jesus, but he found no sin in him. After Jesus, son of the woman, completed his mission on earth, he was taken up to heaven, and now he is seated on the right hand of God the Father. This is, you see, this is a very straightforward statement. We can't read any deeper into it. You cannot make any sensationalism out of this. You need to just read the text for what it is and see this is what we have. This is where our Lord is now interceding on our behalf. You know that Jesus is praying for you now, right? He prays for us day in and day out. Again, the male child, this is Jesus Christ. This means that the woman of Revelation chapter 12 verse 1 cannot be the church because Jesus gives birth to the church, not the other way around. And this woman must therefore either be Mary or Israel, the only two women who could have given birth to Jesus. But we know the rest of Revelation chapter 12 demonstrates that this woman is clearly Israel and not Mary. 
Mary actually needs help too. Remember when Jesus went to the cross, what did Jesus say to his brother John? Watch after your mother. Yes, or his disciple, excuse me. Watch after my mother, right? That means Mary needs help just like everyone else. There was no inroad even though she birthed Jesus. She was still a sinner needing to be saved. All right, and the last verse, verse six. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Persecuted by the dragon, the woman is protected by God in a prepared place for this amount of time. Again, this helps us to understand with certainty that this is Israel and not Mary. This amount of time, this is a reference to three and a half year period. It connects these uh, events with the final seven years of, ja of Daniel, excuse me, chapter nine, the prophecy there. And you can read about that in that portion of scripture. Between this time was a 70 week period that occurred and between uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 5 and Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, there's actually hundreds of years that pass in between. This is obviously a near far break in time. And this is typical in prophecy. This is what we see here. Daniel's 70 week prophecy had such a break. So into the wilderness where she had a place prepared for her by God. Some believe this place in the wilderness is the rock city of Petra, south of the Dead Sea. Some Christian businessmen actually stock places here with food and evangelistic tracts written in Hebrew, prepared in the wilderness. This is the same ancient Greek word that Jesus used when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14, verses 2 and, uh, two and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare, uh, why would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself where I am. You may also be, or you may be also. And so that's a great reminder that the Lord has prepared a place for you. He goes before you in all your circumstances and all the difficult things of your life. He's going before you. He's preparing a way. You might be in a situation right now and you don't know how things are going to get better. Trust in the Lord. He's going to provide a way. Amen. Amen. All right. As the worship team comes up, I'll end with this last, uh, this last statement. The reality is we won't die one day later than we're supposed to. We won't live one day less than we're supposed to. It's already been established for our ordained plan, uh, time, the plans that the Lord has for us. We can rest assured that he will provide everything we need. He will equip us for what we need and for every good work. I'll end with Luke chapter 12 verses 25 uh, down for a few verses. And it says, And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his great glory was not arraigned like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows uh, that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you.
This is what we need to do. We just need to seek the Lord in all things. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you once again for your word. Thank you for your provisions. And Lord, we, we, we trust, Lord, that you're going to do everything that you said, Lord. You're going to provide everything we need. Would you just give us the faith to believe it is true? May your word resonate and may it produce the lasting fruit that you desire in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.